Hi everyone, I'm Kelsey, one of the ministers at St. Matt's, and I'm going to do our Bible reading today. If you would open up please to Acts 12, we're going to read verses 1 to 24. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's joy, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon and now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to spread and flourish. Well, welcome along. I want to start today by telling you a story from back when I was a young engineer and I worked for a company called Hilti. And back in the 80s, I was the New South Wales engineer for them and Hilti were a company that had come out from the very tiny postage stamp country called Liechtenstein 
And they basically had made their business the restoration of Germany post-World War II through fixings and drills to help put together what was a bomb-ravaged country. And here in Australia, my role was a number of things. Uh, one was I, on occasions, would go out testing some of the bolts that were put into various places. And one of them was underneath in the railways under Sydney. And I had the um, interesting, um, fascinating job one day to go out with my boss. And we had to go and test some bolts that were in these railway tunnels. Now, of course, because we didn't want to collide with a railway train, it had to happen at midnight or after midnight during the midnight shift. And at 1.30 in the morning, we went into a tunnel very much like the one you can see on the screen behind me and basically walked through and tested the bolts that we'd put in there a number of years back to, set, to test that they were still holding load. And it's a fascinating thing to be under Sydney at that time of day. It was dark. There were just lights that kind of lit some areas along, but there was just this pervading sense of darkness. It was very quiet. There was the occasional rumbling of a train, which actually was quite freaky because you thought, is it going to come down the tunnel and hit us? But no, it was in one of the other tunnels. It was one of the freight trains that often moves freight in the very early morning hours uh, when the passenger trains aren't running. But we were very alone. There was no one around. And I guess that's what it's like when you work a midnight shift. There's darkness, there's quiet, and there's this pervading sense that you're alone. And tonight, what I want to do, or today, uh, is break from our regular passages and messages and give a very special message from Acts chapter 12, and it's called God, the God who works the midnight shift. Now, let me just say a couple of things. Um, if you are expecting a message on 1 Peter, I'm going to record another message, which you'll be able to see from our church YouTube channel. And so particularly for our small groups, you'll be able to have a listen and reflect on that as you do your small group studies. But I've chosen this for reasons that will become obvious at the end of the talk. God who works the midnight shift. And I know as I preach this message, there are going to be people here today who in terms of their faith, their life, their circumstances, you very much feel like someone who is working a midnight shift. There is darkness around you. There is just the sense of quietness and you wonder what on earth is happening. And in fact, you may be praying and you think God is not hearing and he is deaf to your concerns. And you feel very much alone. And you're wondering, where is God? It's nearly midnight. Will anyone hear my prayers? And the Bible reading we've had today is from Acts chapter 12, as you picked up, not 1 Peter. Uh, it's one of my favourite stories in the book of Acts. And in many ways, it's a story that is answering the question, who rules the world? And what you have in this story are a number of characters, but there are two main characters. One who is seen and obvious and centre stage, and that is King Herod. The other is not obvious. He's only referred to on a number of occasions. He's unseen. And that is the living God. And I want to pick up from the beginning of the story. It's in verse chapter 1. And it's there where we meet the first king. Chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. And Herod was an earthly king. 
His name was Herod Agrippa. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. And he was named king by the Roman emperor Gaius of the day. And he would have had some sort of throne and his kingdom, in a sense, was in Palestine. And he had enormous power there and had been placed there by the Romans to rule that Palestinian era. era. And as a king, you could say he was very politically minded. He was very aware that there was a very significant Jewish population there. He'd sought to, in a sense, win them over. And such was his efforts at keeping the peace among the Jews of the day that even the Pharisees thought well of him. It was quite astounding. But it's also worth noting he was a tyrant. And so let's have a look. And if you've got your Bibles there, Acts chapter 12, I'm reading from verse 2 to 4. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw this, pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Herod was the self-made man. He climbed to the top of his, if you could say, uh, world, and he exercised power over those that he chose to. And what you see here is this tyrant who just takes two of the apostles. One of them is killed, the other is in jail. But there is another king in this story. And as I said at the start, he's the heavenly king. Not seen, not heard from much, not described in great detail, but he is just there, not sitting on an earthly throne, but he's on the throne in heaven. And during the telling of this incident, the main references are firstly that the church is praying to him. And so you see that in chapter 12, verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And then in chapter 12, verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and they were praying. And you see this ragtag bunch of disciples, they knew the living God through the revelation of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. They knew that he was the King of Kings. They knew that he loved them. They knew he had mercy. They knew he had compassion, but they also knew he had power because their experience had been so far in the book of Acts that when they prayed, God could do great things. He could do miracles. But let's return now to think about the earthly king, Herod. And we mustn't be naive about him. He had real power. And as I said, he was a tyrant. He'd put already James, the brother of John, to death. And he'd now put Peter in prison. And we read in verse 6, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood, entrance, uh, stood guard at the entrance. And it's fascinating. Normally they would have just had one soldier who would have been handcuffed or manacled to the prisoner. Herod has four one on either side of Peter and two out the front guarding the actual cell. And I take it that was the case because once already, Peter had escaped from prison when an angel came to rescue him. We know that from Acts chapters 4 and 5. And that's why there's so many guards there. The other thing to note is the festival had been going probably for a week now. It's the Passover festival. And Herod had to wait till it was over to do the trial and the execution. And so while he would have been on trial, it would have just been a mock trial. 
there wouldn't have been any justice that was seen that day if it actually had gone to trial. And Peter is there on what he thinks may be the last night of his life. And he's been in prison already for numbers of nights. I mean, the first time he was rescued, it was just that night, the first night when God came and sent an angel. But now he's been there for a number of nights, waiting and praying and nothing's happened. And you could say this was the midnight shift of Peter's life. And what we see in this story is how God works the midnight shift. And it's so often the case. And I've seen this so many times in my life that the clock runs right down, 11.55 p.m., 11.57 p.m., 11.59 p.m., and midnight is approaching, and you think, is God listening to my prayers? Is he doing anything? And what we see here is that when we're in the dark, it's not over. When we are alone, it's not over. When it appears that God is silent and we wonder if he's there, it's not over. When we think it's impossible, it's not over. When we think God may have forgotten us, it's not over. And if you're in a situation where you feel like it's five to midnight, in whatever situation you're facing, be encouraged because God works the midnight shift and he will be there in the midst of the pain and the confusion. And this is what happened with Peter as we witnessed the power of the unseen King of Kings. Look with me from verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up, quick, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. It was really happening. You could say he's pinching himself to see if he's just in a dream. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went out through it. And when they walked through the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And this was God, the unseen God, who was the king of kings. And he'd sent an angel to protect Peter. And without even raising a sweat, Peter was literally just led out of this heavily guarded jail. And he was free. And it's an incredible story here because what you see is Our God is the God of miracles and he can make the impossible happen. And Peter was rescued in what you would only say are impossible circumstances. And you see here, nothing is too hard for God. When there is no way, God makes a way. And as I said at the start, are you in the midnight shift with your faith? Do you need a miracle? Let me say I can make no promises, but what I can say is this. God can do the impossible. And I'm not saying that God will do the impossible, but God can do the impossible. And you see the way his sovereign power works in this passage. I mean, James was executed. It's worth noting that he did die. But Peter was rescued. 
James, his time had come to return to the Father and to go to glory. But Peter, well, God still had a purpose for his life to achieve and he worked a miracle for him in the midnight hour. And I think the key challenges for us is this, to never stop believing that God can do the impossible and to never stop praying for God to work in those difficult and dark situations and to have the patience and the faith to wait on God and to be patient with him, even when it's really tough. And what's stunning for me is when you read this passage is the early church had already prayed, as I said in Acts chapter 5, and seen Peter rescued from prison. They knew that reality. But note what happens, verse 12 to 17. We pick up the story and Peter has been talking to himself and he said, When this had dawned on him, i.e. that he's free, he's not dreaming, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without even opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. I love that. Peter's basically left there and Rhoda runs off. You must be out of your mind, they told her. And so the church is there, gathered. Do they believe her? No. You're out of your mind. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. They just would not believe her. Verse 16. But Peter kept on knocking. He's still outside. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. They were there praying. And yet they didn't even believe that God would answer their prayers. It's astounding. And they had prayed for days now. And at the end of it all, God answered their prayers in the midnight shift. Now, I said this is a story about who rules the world. Because at the beginning of the chapter, you have an earthly king who's on his throne, ruling with tyranny. And his decrees bring death. That was King Herod. When you get to the end of this chapter, it's a very different story. And it's really quite confronting how the story finishes. Because the story is not over in the way Luke records it just with the rescue of Peter. Have a look at verse 19. Then Herod went out from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. He'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And here is this earthly king in all of his, if I can say, earthly splendor. Josephus records this incident himself as a, if I can say, non-biased observer. It's in his annals. And it records how resplendent he was. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Verse 22, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God. In other words, he accepted the praise 
of the people that he was some form of a God. An angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. And you see this collision of two thrones at the end of the story. One on his earthly throne being hailed as divine and the one from heaven who rules and with a word brings judgment and Herod was struck down. And the story finishes with this powerful epitaph, verse 24. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. And when it says there the word of God, it's the word of the gospel. It's the word that proclaims the victory of God in Christ Jesus who rose from the dead. It's the word of the king to the world that he rules and that he's gracious and merciful and calls everyone to come to him. And what you see here is that the unseen God, the one who often we don't hear, the one who we wonder, is he at work? Well, he rules this world. And I love what John Stott, the former senior minister of All Souls in Langham Place, said about this passage in this chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, Herod is on the rampage, arresting and persecuting church leaders. At the end, he is himself struck down and dies. The chapter opens with James dead, Peter in prison and Herod triumphing. It closes with Herod dead, Peter free and the word of God triumphing. And you see, this is the proclamation of the scriptures. You cannot stop God. He is the God of the impossible. You cannot thwart him. You cannot control him. You cannot stop him. And the important thing for today is he is the God who works the midnight shift. And he is the God who cares for us. In the darkness. In the silence. And when we feel incredibly alone in this world. So why did I interrupt the One Peter series to bring this message about the God who works the midnight shift? Because there's a dearly loved member of our church whose life has literally been on the edge. And metaphorically speaking, for the past seven years, he's been at five minutes to midnight in the midnight shift. And his name is David Tresor Enduamana, affectionately known as Burundi Dave. And I'm smiling here because he's sitting behind the camera filming me right now. And I want to give you an understanding of why he fled the country of Burundi and came out to Australia seeking political asylum. Just a few weeks ago, David sent me a audio clip And it was sent to him from Burundi, recorded by one of his friends in one of the major cities. Let me just play you the audio that came through that night to David.
don't want to say too much about what you can hear there, but it's very obvious. And for the past seven years, we have been praying to the God who works the midnight shift for David and that he might be accepted out here in the country. He arrived in August of 2013 and took up residence in Manly and he's been a member of our church for the last seven years. And in June of 2017, if I can fast forward, I vividly remember I was away on holidays with uh, my wife. We we're up in Coolangatta. I'd been attending a conference for senior ministers and I took some time off after the conference just to spend some time with Kathy up there. And we'd just gone to the movies. We'd seen the movie Churchill and we came back to the apartment we were at and I never forget Simon Smart rang me. And you could just tell by the tone of his voice, it was not good news. And this was June of 2017. And he rang to say that David's application and appeal for asylum and for visa had been knocked back and that he may only have two more months left in the country. And if you were part of the church at that time, you may well remember I had to stand up and invite people to sign a petition to petition the government to keep David here. I invited people to write letters. And we had, I think it was 115 letters that came in that day. Let me read you one of those letters. It was written by a 14-year-old boy. We had all sorts of people from the congregation. I was looking at them just today. And let me say to every single person who wrote a letter, a very big thank you. Let me read this one. My name is James Petty and I'm 14, year, 14 years old. I'm writing this out of my concern for my good friend, Burundi Dave, who I first met three years ago when my family moved to Manly and started to attend St. Matthew's Anglican Church. Over the last three years, I've gotten to know Dave as a friendly, kind and generous man who serves in the church band. He is so willing to share his life and befriend many, both young and old and people from all walks of life. Over time, David became my bass guitar teacher and I've become very fond of him as a music teacher and friend. David has such an amazing gift with music and he's become one of my musical inspirations. He is such a lovely guy and so full of joy when he's playing music or singing or just chatting with people that I aspire to be like him. Who wouldn't want to aspire to someone who is both kind and considerate but also so talented musically? At St. Matthews, David contributes to the music team in which he plays keyboard as his main instrument, but also fills in for other instruments such as bass guitar and lead, acoustic guitar and vocals. Without his contribution to the band, many services would be duller. It makes me sad to think that Dave may have to leave his home and church family in Manly and go back to Burundi, where he would be put in danger. David has contributed to so much to our community in my life personally, it will be a great loss not only to me, but to many. Thank you for reading my letter and considering this important issue, James Petty. Well, that was back in 2017. Two months later, one of our church members, a man named Phil Lonigan, who was a barrister, worked pro bono day and night for about a week or two and lodged an appeal for David's case. And in August 
of 2017, the appeal was successful in the sense that the courts granted David an opportunity to have his case um, appealed. It was meant to be heard last year in August, but because the court system is so clogged up with appeals, he was notified that it had been detained, or sorry, not detained, uh, but been put off indefinitely. And so at the start of this year, through circumstances I won't go into, we decided to have one last roll of the dice and put a deposition forward to the government in Canberra to appeal for David's case. And what you can see there on the screen is a lengthy document that we put together, including uh, copies of the 115 letters, etc., uh, etc., et to really ask for mercy from the government that they would have on David's life. That was February 2020. And then COVID-19 hit and we waited and we waited. And then on the 2nd of June, David received an email. And I'll never forget the next day, he sent me an email and he just said, what does this mean, Bruce? And when you open the email and you open the attachment, at the end of the attachment, it had this, leaving Australia. And the request at this stage had been denied. And if when David arrived, it was 11.55 p.m., well, it was now 11.59 p.m. in about 45 seconds. And it was getting darker and darker. And for the last two months, there's been a lot of activity behind the scenes, and there's been some incredible people who've done some incredible things through this whole process. Uh, I'm not going to name them now. Um, so much of this, we just want to say it's happened without going into the details. I can say that um, in the last hour, we obtained, requested and obtained bipartisan support for David from both our local Liberal um, members, supporters, local Labor Party, Labor Party president for the area, as well as our independent federal member, Zali Stegel. And so in the last hour, with a bipartisan appeal, I'm very pleased to let you know that we now have Aussie Dave. And just last week, David received the official paperwork that stated he has a visa. And with that visa, his permanent residency. And it is amazing. Our God works the midnight shift. Come here, Dave. We happy? Happy. <laughs> Who has the final say? Uba, <laughs> our God has the final say. Yeah. Amen. 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 Come here. I'm going to pray. It's been an incredible journey, and I wanted to break from our regular services to preach this message. Deep down, I always had faith that God would come through, but I can tell you it was very dark and it was very close to midnight at the end. 
And what I can only say has been a miracle and I can't document all of the things that happened. But on so many occasions, we've just seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And Dave, our God works the midnight shift and you are now Aussie Dave. Amen. 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 <laughs> Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the many people who've been involved behind the scenes, advocating, writing letters, helping, filling in documents, praying. And Lord, we just rejoice today that our brother can stay in Australia and has permanent residency. Yeah. And we just thank you, Lord, because you are the God of the impossible, the God who works the midnight shift. Amen, amen and amen. amen. One thing I'd like to do is finish by saying a word of thanks on behalf of David. I want to thank everyone who has made this news possible. Thank you for the many, many people who've prayed. I know our Tuesday morning prayer team prayed unceasingly. I know many people would come and just tell me they're praying for David, what's happening. Thank you. Your prayers have been answered. And the God who works the midnight shift has worked powerfully. I want to say thank you to many people who wrote letters in that early period in 2017. You signed petitions. Thank you for that. It had an impact. Um, there are people who in these last weeks and months have done things behind the scenes and you know who you are. And for reasons you understand, I'm not going to mention in individual names, but thank you. Uh, your efforts also were very, very significant and we're very thankful for them. Uh, there are a couple of people uh, individually I think is worth mentioning who on this journey have put hours and hours in. Dave Hanbury, who first welcomed Dave into the church, took him under his arm like a brother and really is the one who introduced Dave to the St. Matthews community. Thank you, Dave. Uh, we wanna say thank you also to Alex and Tonya Richards. David lived with them for a number of years and an incredible act of generosity to just bring him into your family. Thank you. Um, and then after Dave moved out, Rob and Kylie Clark and their family Welcome Dave in for a number of years and thank you to you guys for your incredible love and generosity. Uh, in terms of his casework and putting his case forward, uh, it'd be remiss of me not to mention Simon and Michelle Smart, particularly Michelle and the incredible work you did uh, on David's case to put a case together to present. And I know there's hours and hours of work and thank you very much on behalf of David. Uh, in these last hours and weeks, um, Christina in the office and Kylie Clark uh, with the final um, submission that went in. Thank you also. Um, and I also want to say thank you to the Australian government. It would be remiss of me not to mention them. Uh, at the end of the day, they've applied mercy and grace towards Dave and his case. And we're very incredibly grateful for the decision that's come down. And thank you, if I can say on behalf of not just David, but the whole church. And I'm sure there's other people who I could have mentioned, but I haven't mentioned. Uh, if that's you, my, please forgive me. There's been so many people who've worked on this case uh, and supported David. Uh, there's people who've given money to cover legal fees, all sorts of things. And we just want to say, if I can say on behalf of David, an enormous thank you for everyone and what you've done. And you may wonder, well, am we going to hear from David? Yeah, we are. Uh, today's actually been a fairly emotional day for David. Um, announcing this but in a couple of weeks time um, on the when we normally would have the jazz festival we're going to hear from David and hear some special music from him to celebrate what's happening so you can look forward to that occasion but on this day we just want to say praise God for the way he's answered prayers amen
Thank you, Lord.